good. It's good to yeah. live in the future. I think it's good to live in the future where there's Amber Alerts and Heart Doctors. Yep. listeners i'm mel i'm matt and this is the mysterious missing and murdered hey everybody we just wanted to say thank you for listening so far we appreciate each and every one of you uh please feel free to check out our website it's just mysterypodcast.com which is great that that is available for us to take i love that uh, you can was available that's that's the uh, it's just perfect it's great yeah you can also find us on twitter and instagram both Good of our time. handles Please, please never do that again. Shh. <laughs> I'm so mean. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our Twitch handles Instagram. there are... I'm just going to pretend like I didn't hear that. Our handles are Miss Miss Murpod on both of them. So I'll spell that for you. It's M-Y-S-M-I-S-M-U-R-Pod. And you can feel free to send us a message... Uh, check out what we have going on and just come hang out with us. Yeah, our podcast should be publishing on all of the major podcast places, including Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Google Play. Um, right now, we are working on getting it on uh, to what's the music? Spotify. Thingy? Spotify. Thank you. Um, it's, it's a work a, in progress. I'm working on it. Yeah, it's it's apparently tough to publish on Spotify if you do things wrong like we did so we're working on it but uh hopefully soon it will be there as well but otherwise it's available on google play itunes and all the others so feel free to uh subscribe follow us do do whatever you like um and feel free to check out our website we also have a form there where you can uh, leave us any comments or suggest uh episode um ideas or any stories that you think that we should investigate so thank you again for listening and uh here's the show so what I have for you today is the story of the disappearance of Elizabeth Ann Gill. So it's kind of funny because, Elizabeth like, one of our Ann things Ann? is murders and we haven't done a murder yet. But, like, we'll get there. Don't worry. Uh, what, what's her name? I'm sorry. Elizabeth Ann Gill. Gill. Like, fish have gills. Okay. Liz, Liz yeah. Gill. Got it. Yes. She actually um, was known as Beth to her family. So she did have a nickname. So where we're going to start is in the sleepy town of Cape Girardeau, um, Missouri, in the spring of 1965. So back then, nobody worried. Huh? Summer of love, man. Summer of love. Yes. The 60s, flower power, all that jazz. Um, And no one like worried. Hmm? Nothing. <laughs> um, no one worried about their kids back then. You know, their kids were just sort of turned loose for the day and they would play in the yard or with their friends or in the neighborhood and nobody kept close tabs on them because there was nothing to really worry about. <laughs> what are you doing playing in the yard? Go play in the street. It's safer there. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, that way we can see you right. and cars will honk. Right. Like, okay. <laughs> Um, but all of that changed in this town on June the 13th when two-year-old Elizabeth Ann Gill went missing from her front yard on the 300 block of South um, Lorimer Street, and she was never seen again. Oh, wow. So this is actually the longest missing child registered in the state of Missouri. 
Um, and to give you a little bit, a little bit of background about the area, um, her home was close to what is now the Crisp Museum and the Donald C. Bedell Performance Hall of Southeast Missouri State University. So they actually lived like practically on campus. Right. And the school itself was founded in 1873, so it was there and part of the community when she was growing up. And this part of um, Missouri is actually part that, because of where I live, I, I know a little bit about, because it, it borders Illinois, and it's about a half an hour away from the Shawnee National Forest, which is in Illinois, and that's probably about, like, two or three hours away from where I live. Oh, wow. So they were right on the Mississippi, and that's that's where this all took place. So to give a little bit more background here, um, Cape Girardeau was a really small town at the time. It was only about 70,000 people, and it's about 100 miles southeast of St. Louis, which is obviously the state capital of Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, her home was on the land that her family had owned like forever, since 1860s. And their home itself was built in the 1920s, so they were not new to the community, hadn't just moved there. I mean, this is where her family's roots had been. Um, her parents were Enola and Henry uh, Gill, and she was the youngest of ten children. So they had a pretty busy house. Yeah, that's... <laughs> there were a lot of kids running around. Like, were they still under the impression that they would lose half of them? Like, why... That's a lot of babies. I, I don't know, and it's not like a particularly rural area. It's not like they lived out in the middle of a cornfield or something like that. I mean, they lived in the city, so I don't, I don't know, man. I don't have a good answer for you, but that ten is kids, one Catholic. big family. Catholic. We're ten kids. We get, we're, you know, we're Catholic. We're, yeah. I, I would not be surprised. There seem to be, you know, unlike Minnesota, where there's all these Lutherans up in there. There seem to be more Catholics down here, so I would not be surprised. So she was born on August 21st, 1962. And like I said, she was the the youngest of 10 siblings. So at the time when she went missing, uh, two of her older siblings, two older sisters were away with her, her mother and father. So there were still eight of them at home and they were all there. Everybody was home uh, when she went missing. And like I said, she was literally playing out in the front yard in the care of her older siblings who were also spending time outside in the yard. So it's not like she wandered outside and everybody was, you know, inside watching a movie or something like that. Right. There were people around. Um, And also she went missing at four o'clock in the afternoon. So middle of the day, not in the middle of the night, not anything like that. And her her mother and her father and her siblings were coming home from a short trip to St. Louis, where her father also worked. So it was kind of unclear to me if this was like a like a normal routine trip or if this was a little bit out of the ordinary. But either way, they were they were gone, and her and her siblings were at home watching her. Uh, so like I said. At 4 o'clock on June 13th, her siblings noted she was missing. And this was also strange because where they lived in the 300 block of South Warmer Street, it was a quiet neighborhood with lots of other kids around. So, like I said as well, they weren't out in the middle of a cornfield. They weren't out in the middle of nowhere. 
This was on a street, on Neighborhood Street. Right. There were people around, people doing stuff. And she was gone. Weird. Um, I will note that that was a Sunday, so it was on the weekend. So, I mean, it, it wasn't like, you know, weekday, Monday, Tuesday, you know, maybe people are still at work, so there isn't really anybody around. I mean, this was the time of day when presumably some of her neighbors would have been outside as well. Uh, so she was last seen carrying a pail of sand and wearing a green and white checkered blouse. And like I mentioned at the, the start of our show, she's never been seen again, nor has the pail or any sign of her. Weird. Right. And they, and it's not for lack of trying. Um, 30 minutes after her disappearance, police and law enforcement and locals were already searching for her. So they were on it right away. None of this nonsense you hear sometimes where it's like, oh, who knows? They'll turn up. And I'm sure it had to do with her age because she was only two years old. She's not going to be like, I'm going to go to the store and buy a popsicle, you know. Right. Um, And at first, authorities thought that she had wandered away from home and fallen into the Mississippi River, which is just a couple of blocks away from her house. See, that was my first guess is like, did she, is she a like like a cat did she like fall in the sewer grate or something (laughs) right and i mean okay sure i can see this happening it would not be the first time unfortunately but the problem with that is that she would have had to cross several streets railroad tracks and go down a pretty steep bluff to reach the water's edge that's like quite a trek for a two-year-old to make in 30 minutes time right yeah, like she was sprinting. It's like she super was, baby. She was tough muttering her way to the Mississippi if she did that. Uh, right, exactly. So that just did not seem to make a whole lot of sense. And uh, for days after her disappearance, local police and volunteers combed the neighborhood. But like I said, they, they didn't find anything. They didn't find like her pail on the side of the road, like a scrap of clothing, nothing like that. Um, they even called in canine units to search the neighborhood and the surrounding area, but once again, without any luck. So it really seemed like she vanished without a trace. Right. Um, eventually, the AP, the Associated Press, picked up the story and the case became worldwide famous. You know, at this time in American history, kids weren't just being snatched off the streets or if they were it was not being reported (laughs) you know so this was like pretty big news and i actually found this really uh interesting picture while i was doing my research of all of these very serious looking dudes like stuffing envelopes um and apparently on january 20th of 1966 civil air patrol members helped the local police department by mailing posters to every single police department sheriff's office and highway patrol in the united states in an effort to locate her jesus right so this is a big effort this is a lot of work that people are putting in to try and locate her yeah uh donations even came in to fund a reward for information leading to her return so at the time one thousand seven hundred and ninety five dollars was collected which in today's money would be like thirteen thousand five hundred so that's quite a bit of dough it's a lot of money Right. So who were the possible suspects? Because, you know, you would hope that after all of this effort, you would at least have someone or someones in mind. Right. So the day immediately after Elizabeth's disappearance, police received a tip from a local car dealer, which then led them to believe that she might have been abducted. 
Which up until that point, so like for that whole first day that she was missing, her family hadn't even considered that. Like it had not even come into their mind as an actual fear that like someone had taken their child. Right. Um, and this tip would become what investigators still consider, so still to this day as the case is still open, um, to be the most significant lead in the case. So what did the car dealer say? Well, the car dealer told police, that there was a couple staying at a motel directly behind the Gills' home. And I actually looked up where their house is located on Google Maps, and there is, like, this kind of, like, don't want to be a jerk, but kind of crummy, basic-looking motel that's, like, almost, like, on the same block as them, like, right behind the house. A starlight. Yeah, I mean, it was not anything fancy. This is not a place where, like, you know, if the president was coming in to visit the city where he would be staying, but it was there. Right. Uh, so they were staying at this motel directly behind the Gills' home, so there's access right there. And they had recently ordered a part for their 1965 Chevy truck. The dealer told them that the part wouldn't be available until Monday, and they said that was fine because they would be around for about another week. So on that Monday, remember Beth went disappearing on a Sunday, so this was the day immediately after, he called the motel to let these people know that their part was ready. But motel staff told him that the couple had checked out the day before, right around the time when Beth disappeared. Hmm. So this is looking, like, hinky. I mean, it could just all be nothing. It could just all be coincidence. But, but things are starting to add up. Yeah. So law enforcement became even more suspicious of this couple when they found out that they had been transients and they were canvassing the neighborhood selling purses. And selling, uh, I'm sorry, and using license plates from at least three different states on their vehicles. So between these two people, they had two vehicles, the Chevy truck and a 1965 Thunderbird. And people in the neighborhood had seen both of these vehicles and the people in them. Uh, so at one point, local police consulted with the Alabama Highway Patrol. And that's when they found out that the plates that had been reported uh, to be seen on these vehicles were likely registered to other vehicles, meaning that they were stolen. Right. Um, and unfortunately, unfortunately, law enforcement was never able to locate these transients or the Thunderbird or the Chevy truck. Wow. So I don't know if it was just too, like, vague. There wasn't anything, you know, it wasn't like there was a big gash in the side or something like that or kind of what led that kind of holdup. They were never able to identify either. There were also reports of a little lost girl in St. Louis who matched Elizabeth's description right around this time, but nothing came of that lead, so they were not connected. Um, police got a little bit more excited in 1970 when an inmate named Philip Odell Clark, um, who was in serving a life sentence for murder, he's not a very great person. He had <laughs> killed his ex-wife's grandmother in 1966 and held five other people hostage. Jesus. Right, so this is not just, like, a petty thief or whatever. Like, this dude is pretty scummy. This is a dude. He just, this guy died in prison. He did. Mm. Yes, and he confessed to accidentally running over Elizabeth um, and killing her on the day of her disappearance. And he said, you know, I'd been drinking, I didn't want to get in trouble, I didn't want to get caught, so I buried her body out of fear. What the fuck? Uh, Right. However, he then told several different stories about what he had done with Elizabeth's body, and so as he starts changing up his story constantly, 
law enforcement start to believe him less and less, and they're not able to substantiate any of his claims. Okay, that's um, that's weird. Right. So, you know, some people just want attention, I guess. I don't know. But I just, I really don't feel that he's the one who did it. Right. Um, it's like, and so, I think... Like, mm-hmm. That's so, so weird. Why, 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 how did he, why did he, why? Right. And I mean, it's a very common thing that when someone is reported missing, and especially once it gains that sort of nationwide status and people are talking about it in the news, yeah, you will have people from every corner of the country coming out to be like, oh, I saw this child, or I murdered this person, and I buried their body in my backyard, you know? Right. And they do it for this weird sense of trying to, like, I don't know, feel important, feel involved. But unfortunately, it's very common, which causes a lot of extra work for the people who are investigating the cases. Stolen murder. Yeah. Right. It, um. So, <laughs> in 1971, he killed a fellow inmate... So I don't know what was going on there, but clearly he was still up to no good. Um, and he was convicted of manslaughter. And then he himself was murdered in prison in 1977. There you go. All right. Right. So the circle of his life is complete. The circle of prison. Uh, essentially, yes. <laughs> Wait, nope. Nope. Not going to go there. Nope. Um, so things got very quiet. And not much happened again until 2010. So at this point, the FBI declared her case um, to be classified as a non-family abduction, um, really believing that those two drifters were people of interest and that they needed to track them down somehow or figure out how they were involved. Right. Um, so... They also cited the fact that twice before her disappearance, and it was unclear to me if this came to light in 2010 or if this was like a common known thing at the time of her disappearance. Um, but apparently these drifters had tried to beckon Elizabeth toward their car. What? So, right. So several witnesses came forward over the years to say that they had seen a woman talking to Beth while Beth was in her yard. And the woman was trying to coax Beth to come with her. That's weird. Right. So, I mean, things are really starting to go against these drifters, whoever they were. This is, like, before people, like... I guess I just don't know. Is this, like, before people knew that they had to drink water occasionally if they were thirsty? Like, don't let strangers (laughs) talk to your baby. Like, why? Right, and I don't understand why, yeah, and, like, apparently her parents at one point had given a statement saying that she wasn't the type to run off with strangers, but she wasn't a shy child either. And I'm like, well, it's not that hard to bamboozle a two-year-old. Right, like, give offer them a banana. Right, there's, like, you know, literally a myriad of things you could do to get this child to come with you. Offer them a Kit Kat. Right, like, I just don't understand how no one like, said anything at the time or tried to intervene, but I don't... I mean, I don't know. There wasn't enough information for me to really make a judgment. Ah, um, there goes Beth riding with strangers again. She'll get a candy bar and come back. Right, like, like silly what? what? Like, what? No, she's too. <laughs> right. No, I, I, I agree with you. I am on the same page as you here. Oh. Uh, in that same year, in 2010, a significant break came in the case. So a family friend was conducting an internet search with, you know... 
all things can be found on the internet, ostensibly. All things. Uh, and came across a woman who might have been related to one of these transient people staying at the motel. So at this point, the FBI and a detective, Smith, who had come onto the case in 20, uh, 2003, traveled to eastern Pennsylvania to interview this woman. Um, unfortunately, this elderly she, woman... How did she realize they were related? I could not find anything about that. That's fucking weird. Right, so I don't know, like, how deep of sleuthing was done to get to that level, but somehow this family like, friend connected these dots, these like very the, obscure dots. The cars were never identified, the people were never identified, all they know is that this people either drove a Thunderbird or some sort of shitty truck, and that they stayed in a shitty motel once in 1965, and somehow she finds their their grandma or something? Yeah, it's very unclear, and I just I don't... I think she did it. I think the person who found this person online <laughs> The family did it. friend did it. Yeah. Like, I... all this guilt. I know. I'll blame it on someone else. Look, I found somebody related to those drifters. What do you mean you don't know? <laughs> what? No, they're related, see? Well, I don't have to know them to know that they're related. I do? Oh. Oh. Right, like, whoops, you got me. Right, like, I don't... What the fuck? Okay, anyway. So, anyway, insane internet sleuthing, and this lady found this woman in eastern Pennsylvania, this elderly woman. And unfortunately, this elderly woman was reluctant to talk, uh, but she did tell investigators that two of her relatives had been involved in some sort of investigation into the disappearance of a baby many, many years ago. And she said that this family member and his wife had been held and questioned by police for an entire day um, because their vehicle had been seen in the area where the child went missing. However, there's no record of a couple being questioned in Elizabeth's case at all. Um, due to the case still being open, Detective Smith declined to comment on um, if the alleged questioning had happened in Cape Girardeau or if the baby was Elizabeth. I mean, it's entirely possible that this woman did have a family member who was involved or somehow around in the area when a child disappeared, but that it was a different child in a different state or, right. you know, whatever. But we just don't have that information. And because the case is still open, I understand why law enforcement is reluctant to show all their cards gotcha so we just don't we just don't know that i guess we, we don't know what the cops know we don't know that we, we don't have the facts about that interview or who they interviewed or why they interviewed so they did manage to track down the owner of a car and held them for a long time but presumably either cleared them or didn't have a way to didn't have a way to keep them right we just so. we just don't know and i mean it's entirely possible too that this family friend was on the internet somewhere and saw someone post about, you know, on like a missing persons forum or something like, oh yeah, my relatives had to be questioned about a missing persons thing and like that sparked it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, there's certainly more going on here that we just don't have visibility to. Right. So without evidence or more information, this woman has never been charged. And then I have a quote here from Smith. 
And that is, um, if this is a lead we're talking about, if this lady passes away or another family member passes away, that could be the end of it. And it's very frustrating. Um, so it seems like they think that this lady knows something, but they're just not getting enough out of her and they can't force her at this point to say what they want her to say or what they think she knows. Right. Um, interestingly enough as well, in 2013, investigators based in Indiana believed that they had found a connection to a group of people in Michigan who also maybe had connections to these transients from the motel. So Mark Harper, who leads this team in Indiana, said that he was investigating another missing person's case when he saw similarities to Buck's case. And he said that many of the same addresses in Arizona and Michigan kept popping up when he was investigating these two. And they all concerned um, like transient groups of peoples who had sort of like a clan mentality and similar dynamics. So he didn't like outright say cult per se, but that's how I read it. Yeah, I don't know if I just sounds... want to jump to that, but but I mean, when I read that, I was like, okay, it sounds like he's saying they're a cult. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Harper, at that time in 2013, um, had gotten into contact with three women that they hoped to get DNA samples from to do testing. I couldn't find any follow-up on that, though, so I don't know if they were able to, if these women did not want to submit to DNA testing. It, it was kind of unclear there. Um, overall, in the span of the case, 12 different women have had their DNA tested, and there has not been a match so far. Weird. Yeah, so um, mainly some of, I know some of the cases where they have done DNA testing is people who said, you know, uh, I suspect that, like, my parents weren't really my parents, you know, and there was all this mystery surrounding my childhood. They're around the same age as Beth, doing that kind of testing to see. So what happened afterward? You know, like, what happened to the family? Where are we today? All that kind of stuff. Nice. Um, so in 1966, uh, Beth's father wrote a letter to then-President Lyndon Johnson begging him to direct the FBI to investigate I think he felt at that point that they were definitely looking at people who were involved in his daughter's disappearance, having like cross state lines and gone out of his local law enforcement jurisdiction, which is why he wanted the help of the FBI. Um, But more than a year after her disappearance, FBI director J. Edgar Hoover responded and he said that the FBI could not investigate without evidence of an abduction but that they would continue to follow out-of-state leads at the request of local law enforcement. So that was kind of a letdown for the family. Yeah. Um, and sadly, her father passed away five years later in 1970, uh, very suddenly from a heart attack. He was only 55 years old. Jesus. Right. So he was, he was pretty young, which is, you know, another big blow for the family. Uh, since her disappearance, two of her siblings have also passed away, but her mother... And other siblings are still holding out hope that she will be found. Um, and the FBI has since changed its protocols regarding missing persons investigations. And they have been involved in the case, like I mentioned earlier about them getting involved, um, along with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Hmm. Uh, DNA from Beth's, uh, from Beth's sister and her mother have been entered into national databases, um, which get searched when identified remains are found. And so far, there's not been a match for her. Wow. Uh, there is a Facebook group, as always, almost, uh, ca- called Finding Beth Gill. 
and it has more than 5,200 followers. So her case is still being discussed today. So it's a cold case as far as we know in terms of law enforcement, but there are still people talking about it, still people interested, you know, still volunteers trying to help out. And uh, Martha Hamilton, Beth's sister, said in an interview, quote, I have come to the conclusion that we cannot find Beth, but she may be able to find us if we're easy to find, end quote. So I think that her family is hoping that instead of something utterly sinister having happened to her, that maybe, you know, people took her and either they did or someone else raised, raised her, her as yeah. their child. So she might not even know that she's this missing person with a family who wants to find her and cares about her and wants to know where she is. Wow, that's crazy. It is crazy that it's so long and to think that a human can just like totally and utterly, as far as we can tell, disappear. Right. There might actually be like some, well, she'd be like 50 now, 50 year old woman whose parents are probably passed away, who probably weren't her parents and no one will ever know. Right. And, you know, we have to think too that back then, missing children's cases were handled so much differently. You know, now when a child goes missing, it's like an instant Amber Alert. You know, people get notices on their phones that children have gone missing with pictures of them in their last location. And it's just, you know, the word gets out right away. Whereas, you know, with Beth, sure, law enforcement got in and started to look in the immediate area right away for her. But if she had been taken in a car, she could have been long gone. Right. It's just so weird. You know, just a matter of hours. It's weird that, like, the police and, like, even the FBI were like, no, she's probably in the state. No one worry about too much. They couldn't have gone far as though, like, cars didn't exist. (laughs) Well, and I think that that was a big frustration for Beth's family, that the FBI didn't want to get involved. When I mean, I think that we have a good enough reason to suspect that whoever took Beth, if somebody did take Beth, took her across you know, state lines. Oh, like, yeah. she, you know, she's not at the neighbor's house in their basement kind of a thing. Like, it really does sound like these people who have an access and a tendency to not, you know, stay in one area for long... Right, like are going to go and be gone in the wind. Right, like if you're a drifter and you take a baby, are you going to stick around? Even if even if you're not a drifter and you take a baby, are you going to stick around? No, you're going to like get the fuck out of town. Like why? I, I, yeah, I just don't. I guess I guess clearly law enforcement was under the impression that they were looking probably for a body in the Mississippi, and that's probably part of it. And then after a week, when they didn't find a body float down the Mississippi, they it's too late to start hunting the tri-state area or whatever for for people, you know? Like. Well, and another thing to note as well is that concerning the Mississippi, if she had fallen into the Mississippi somehow, I think it would be very unlikely that we would find remains. Because the Mississippi is so strong, has a strong current, it's very deep, you know, there there have been a lot of people where it's suspected that they fell into the Mississippi, but their remains are just never found. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Like, nothing stays in the river for long. Everything goes to shore. Everything has a natural beach, especially with the Mississippi where it warms so heavily. Like, very little that starts at the top of the Mississippi that isn't water will make it, like, even to Iowa, for example. 
Like it's Yeah, I mean also like, you know, there are fishies and creatures that like eat people. People. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like I'm just saying too, if you're a body in the Mississippi, depending on how long you're in there, you're not gonna stay a whole intact intact body for long. Yeah, you probably won't last very long. Well, on that happy note, that's my story. Yeah. I mean, I am really hopeful that, you know, she didn't have a terrible fate befall her. I mean, it's still terrible to be taken from your family and not know and not know that about right. yourself. But Hopefully I feel like in the scheme of things, it's better that she's, like, alive and maybe yeah. grew up happy. Yeah. Terrible about her family, though. Well, yeah, I mean, it's awful to think that, you know, her father died just a couple years after she disappeared. Yeah, the stress was too much for him. Also, I, yeah, that would be really fucking stressful for me, too. Also, you know, poor cardiovascular disease diagnosis in the 60s. It's good, it's good yeah. to live in the future. I think it's good to live in the future where there's Amber Alerts and heart doctors. Yep. Yes, I would agree. <laughs>